Hello. How's it going? It's all right. All right. All right. All right. Sure. Mm-hmm. I'm here. Oh, boy. Oh, oh boy, what? <laughs> I got a nice cast. Uh, it was fine for so long. Sorry, right, I got to fix. We're good now. Okay. Well, it's a good thing it's not a discontinued project. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you know, reliable, reliable, nice cast. Are we gonna? Are we gonna just like stop? Or are we gonna like try and figure out how to like fix that? Well, supposedly it'll keep working until it doesn't. If that's <laughs> oh good, so we should just never update our computers. Yes, yes. Uh, it's is production it, machines, right? Yes, production machines. Exactly what I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> we'll we'll just have a version of macOS that doesn't ever change uh, and uh, won't ever receive any security patches because Apple's only interested in patching security issues on the very very latest. And uh, well, well, don't forget they're they're also interested in, in patching uh, uncompressed four two two codecs. I need. I need. Um, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I don't understand the finer points of ProRes RAW. <laughs> uh, do, do you do you, do you care? Not really, but uh, I know it's near and dear to you, so I'm kind of interested because you're interested. If you weren't interested, uh, then I wouldn't be interested, and so really, this is your fault. Oh sure, yeah, it's totally my fault. Um, because. I don't know. It's been a while since I've invoked uh, my my, my uh, drinking game phrase, bear patterns. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just a ProRes codec tailored to compressing uh, raw camera sensor data that doesn't have baked in, uh, you know, white balance and ISO and all that crap. So it's it's for cameras that want to shoot raw, but like a way of standardizing raw. I don't know. Like, there's I don't know that there's really a point to it because if you're gonna shoot raw, you're probably gonna like stick with Airy Raw or Red Raw because you're going to shoot with those cameras because there aren't a ton of cameras to shoot Raw. There are a few. And usually the people who make the camera kind of know best how to compress their own thing, but I don't know. Whatever. It's fine, I guess. It has nothing to do with ProRes. Uh, you will never have to deal with it yourself because it'll need to be debared and converted into something that you can actually use. Wait, are uh, then, you are you saying that the name ProRes was used for something that has nothing to do with other things that have ProRes in the name? It's uh, it's the same family in as much mm-hmm. as it is a codec by Apple. So, I mean, what else are you going to call it? But yeah, no, it shouldn't have been called ProRes. It's very confusing and stupid. They should have called it uh, Apple Raw. Sure. Yeah. Or you know, because make up some other dumb acronym like uh, H. CIF or whatever the hell they're calling them, H E F I or what? What? Whatever the stupid codecs are they're using on the Apple thing, the iPhones. Yes. Uh. Well, that that's that's just uh H two six five. It's just as a still. Yeah, they're just yeah. using dumb names for it. Yeah, it, but uh, it's just a container for that. Anyway, containers within containers, all the way down. Uh. But uh. But yeah, I I I just I don't really super duper care but you forgot one of the one of the really big players in log and that's uh s log you got your s log one you got your s log two you got your s log three three yeah of course <laughs> um but it's it, like that it's totally even separate you could theoretically record a ProRes raw file that has s log in it like i don't know why you would but actually no you wouldn't well i would keep the metadata anyway it doesn't matter okay so, what ProRes format do you think they used 
uh, when they were working on Bad Boys, the movie, <laughs> in 1995. Uh, uh, cine- well, there's, no, there's not a lot of visual effects in this movie, are there? No, 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 no. Uh, this is this is uh, predominantly film stock. Uh, well, I just mean like uh, stuff that would have been scanned and converted. Because, I mean, if they would have scanned it, it would have gone Cineon just because that's what happens when you scan film back in the 90s. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see any instance where they would have... They would have used any non-practical effects. No, I don't. I don't think they they were doing that uh, for, for Bad Boys Two. I know there is, of course, uh, some augmentation. But uh, <laughs> I think in this one you have your um, uh, even when they do the the, the shot of the uh, pinhole in the door. Um, I think that's just like an oversized prop that they put in front of the lens. <laughs> Which uh, which pinhole and what door? Uh, when Martin Lawrence goes to Tay Leone's door, uh, impersonating Mike Lowry, and he holds oh, right. up the badge, and the camera pulls out through the the pinhole. Yeah, they pulled a they pulled a Joseph Kahn with his yeah. giant key, and then did a uh, just a fake thing. Yeah, it's just an oversized version of that. Yeah, so they could fit the camera this, through this movie. Uh, Michael Bay, uh, director of Bad Boys One and Two. Uh, what was primarily a commercials and music video fella, and this is his his feature directing debut. And it, uh, boy, did it really change the landscape of action movies, didn't it? Yeah, Michael Bay has that effect. And uh, oh, I, I can probably imagine that a couple of people were like, "Why? Why are we talking about Michael Bay movies all of a sudden?" Uh, oh, sure. Yeah, because I believe we are on record as having uh, mixed feelings about uh, his his. Um, prolific uh bayness um but uh he has he has uh he inspired you he was your he was your your muse uh when we were trying to come up with muse he was a last ditch effort if anything yeah we were trying to come up with uh what would work for april um and uh we we uh you settled on uh michael april um so we (laughs) we have which, for for the record, people listening, was one of the least bad ideas we had. Yeah. Oh God, there was there was some really bad ones. There was a, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, April Vigoda that was going to be uh, Godfather <laughs> Part One and Part Two because Abe Vigoda is barely in it. Um, and then there is a, uh, uh, April O'Neil. Um, because we have the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, and we weren't going to do the Michael Bay ones, ironically enough. I was gonna say, yeah, that would have brought us back to Michael Bay April again. Yeah, we could have we could have leveled up on it, and it could be uh, it could have been Michael April O'Neil. Michael April presents uh, April O'Neil month. Yes, but uh, we 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 saved everyone from that, uh, and and did this, uh, but. Bad news, everyone, who's like, oh, great, now they're going to finally talk about the Transformers movies. We're not going to talk about the Transformers movies. <laughs> we specifically picked Michael <laughs> Bay because there are only two weeks left in April because we, uh, we it's scheduling difficulties. And we, we've been talking about Bad Boys 2 for probably as long as we've been doing this podcast mm-hmm. because it is one of the most absurd and insane action movies in the history of action movies. And in order to get to Bad Boys 2, we kind of need to do Bad Boys 1. Well, well, we don't need to, but we probably should have. And, uh, you know, it just, just so happened that, you know, we had we had two weeks in April that rhymed with Michael Bay and then uh, Bad Boys. Yeah, and uh, to be perfectly honest, I had never seen uh, the first Bad Boys movie entirely. I had seen parts of it and uh, had decided it was not for me. You you don't know where all the jokes in the second one came from then, or all of the uh, you know 
360 camera dollies and slow motions and things. Well, now I do, but I, I it didn't. <laughs> let's just say, uh, knowing it where it came from in this, in no way impacted uh, my ability to watch Bad Boys Two. Uh, I, I I don't believe that Bad Boys Two is as reliant on the first movie as many sequels are. There are some uh, funny character turns, uh, like Joe Pantoliano's character, um, but uh, it, it's it's not. Uh, let's just say it's not required viewing. Uh, and I, after having watched this, I can understand why um, it is not as well remembered as the sequel is, which is unusual most of the time. <laughs> well, it's also eight years apart, which is surprising. Yeah, well, I, I believe there were production reasons for that. Uh, I mean, whatever the reasons yeah. may be, it, it separated them far enough in time that the actors look dramatically different. The talent uh, in front and behind the camera are way more polished by the time they get to the second one. So it's it's, it's not, not like they were like building a series where they slowly get... I don't know, not better is the wrong word, but bigger. But they, they just, like, Bad Boys 2 is 10x the movie this movie is. Yeah. And uh, I I had seen Bad Boys 2 many, 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 many times. Uh, across the hall in college, uh, there were, uh, there was a guy and uh, his roommate and their best friends, and they would just leave the TV on with the DVD player playing the bad boys 2 dvd on loop forever so you would walk in there and it would be some scene from bad boys 2 at all hours of the day and night uh it was really was quite this something. like an affectation for like impressing people in like a really weird way or they just really like the movie that much they really like the movie that much uh but i take it back it wasn't always playing sometimes they were watching cribs uh but uh <laughs> <laughs> The early 2000s were so embarrassing. Yeah, it, no, but there was there was uh, a they were they were really into it. Uh one of them was uh Cuban from Miami and so he had he had an affinity for it. Uh he said um but uh, the Cuban guy's the bad guy. Well, yes, but he still enjoyed the film. Um mm. but the uh and, and uh Nestor Carbone and um uh, uh what's his face who who are in the sequel as the the two other cops who are they're surly with um that i can't remember the name off the top of my head anyway, anyway. Uh, vargas and yes Ruiz. yes they're in there uh so you know there's there's that but uh yeah in this first one nobody really talked it up or anything and the couple of times i came across pieces of it i was like oh this just it it feels of a completely different like genre and cut of film than than uh bad boys 2 like bad boys 2 i can appreciate for the over the top ridiculousness that this, uh, this is movie there. feels like spiritually it came out like two or three years after beverly hills cop 2 yes it, it it does feel much closer to that and of course uh behind the camera you have producers don simpson and jerry bruckheimer uh mm. who were involved in the the very famous uh, Beverly Hills Cop uh, franchise, and uh, were developing this and many other action movies that occurred in the nineties. Uh, and Jerry Bruckheimer is still doing crazy action movies uh, that he loves to do. It's an odd he, man. He very much he, he Bruckheimered this one up because it is it's you know hyper stylized orange with your your 
tobacco filters that you slap over your film because this is not in the era of digital intermediate color correction and all kinds of ridiculous nonsense you can do to make it look nothing like reality. Uh, And then you mix that in with Michael Bay's like on the ground weird i don't even know if you can call them dutch angles it's like the camera guy just like fell over and he's like yeah i'm gonna shoot it from here now it's fine uh you know with these these crazy sweeping dolly moves and jib moves and all kinds of crazy crap and slow-mo and helicopters it's helicopters don't forget there's lots of helicopters (laughs) lots of helicopters there's there's the there's the big miami sign gotta have the miami sign if it's in miami to prove that it's in miami Mm -hmm. you gotta get a fly over south beach uh, I believe they actually fly over the same Art Deco uh, facade that they use for uh, the birdcage opening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> of course. But, Iconic. They're, yeah. It's paying tribute. <laughs> yeah. Or are you he, saying they're in the same cinematic universe? I, no, <laughs> definitely not. Although it would be somewhat funny to see Nathan Lane burst into one of these scenes. But knowing the death... <laughs> just running running around in the background ducking gunfire as they're shooting <laughs> in the public. There's that one part where uh, Marcus pops out of the apartment... Uh, when he first grabs uh, whatever her name is, Taylor Leone's character, and the 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 bad guys start shooting at him like through uh, like a bar, and there's a bunch of people start ducking in the foreground. What if that is one of the 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 clubs from uh, the Birdcage? Uh, no, thank you. No, you don't want you yeah. don't go there. I don't want to go there. I, I I I believe that that should remain separate and distinct from that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sorry. As as the arbiter of Florida, you are you are fully <laughs> empowered to do so. Florida, <laughs> uh, yeah, you you know you're you're in charge of all things Florida, especially when it comes to this podcast. Uh huh. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Is that bad? Do you not want Florida? You want to give it back? No, I trade it for something else. I'll keep Florida. It's important in in election years. Uh, but uh, I'll disown it after the next one if they vote for. Certain people again. Um, and uh, so, anyway, uh, we, we, we got a movie, and we got, we got, we got our talent. We got uh, Martin Lawrence uh, as Detective Sergeant Marcus Burnett. We have Will Smith as Detective Sergeant Mike Lowry. We have Taya Leone as Julie Mott. We have... Name I can't say. Chechki Cario? Cario? Oh, the bad guy? Yes. Uh, the, the I have no idea. French guy I, who's in a lot of stuff. Fouché. Uh, I yeah. thought they were calling him Boucher for a while. No. Uh, like, from the Adam Sandler movie. Uh, the Bobby Boucher cinematic universe. I'm just trying to tie this movie to something else. <laughs> there's. <laughs> we need a handle on the film. Yeah, there's Joe Pantoliano as Captain Conrad uh, Howard. Uh, we shouty ha- mix cigar smoker basically. Yeah, and he 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 does his thing. He does it up. He's he's doing now, all the things. In terms of uh, Michael Bay's hyper stylization of things, um, I, I'm curious if is everyone always that sweaty in Florida, or is that Michael Bay doing? It's that? very humid. Hmm. So that's just that's just bringing some some realism to it for you. Uh, I mean, I'm not in love with it, but y- y- yes. Also. In many of these scenes, it seems they either ran through the set with uh, uh, some sort of fog machine or lit some incense or something, because it's just a lot of atmosphere. Um, oh, it's not a Bruckheimer film unless 
you got that much atmosphere. Like, I think he comes, part of his contract is that there's going to be trucks and trucks of atmosphere brought in. Yeah, it is not as much like that in the sequel, though. It's a little, uh, the air is a little cleaner. Um, there's stuff, especially in the beginning of this movie, where it's like, are we in 1980s LA, uh, where, where we're shooting this? Because uh, it, it, just because it's so hazy and brown, um, but, uh, but no. It is not like it's that. not pollution. It's it's just the uh, the ever present sunset, and uh, <laughs> so, you know everyone's just partying on the beach and having uh, colorful cocktails and things. That's, that's not how sunsets work. Uh, but uh, we there was an interesting bit of film trivia that you pointed out to me before we recorded today. <laughs> Which one <laughs> uh, about the development process uh, and the selection of who the stars would be? Uh, yeah. which could dramatically alter your opinion of the film. Yeah, this was, uh, you know, the one thing that it didn't mention is whether or not this was intended to be a comedy or not. But apparently the uh, original title for the movie was called Bulletproof Hearts, and it was written for Dana Carvey and John Lovitz uh, because they were very popular on SNL at the time. And uh, they were going to be they were going to be Florida cops. Uh, But uh, apparently uh, Don Simpson was so excited to to have them on board that he he had a fun trip planned for them uh as well as him to go to Las Vegas and he was uh so wild and crazy that uh Dana Carvey was horrified and immediately pulled out of the project. And for anyone who's like how wild and crazy could Don Simpson be? You can go read the Wikipedia page of Don Simpson. Um he He's a man who enjoyed life to the fullest. The way to put it, maybe. $60,000 a month on prescription drug expenses. Yeah, that's it's mm-hmm. a lot of money uh per month. Yes. Or year or lifetime? Yeah. Oh, it's uh he 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 had a lot going on on his plate there. Um and uh I'm sure that was fueled by the financial success of the films that he produced, uh such as this one. Uh, and this this film was a success when it came out. Uh, Nineteen million dollar budget, one hundred and forty one million box office. It's a it's a lot of prescription drugs. And I, for as dated as it feels, like I feel like this probably kind of felt like a revelation for the mid nineties, just in terms of style and action. And you know, you you can't deny the charisma of Will Smith and Martin Lawrence, especially in the nineties. They they had a great thing going on between the two of them they're funny they're uh you know doing their thing they're, uh, okay. they're interesting leading men pushback a, sl- a slight pushback here <laughs> sure of course Go okay ahead. there is chemistry between martin lawrence and will smith mm. but and, and will smith certainly has charisma but i i find martin lawrence to be unlikable uh sure it, well it, to, it, to a certain extent that's kind of what he's trying to do but i actually maybe that's just his strong suit as an actor yes but also uh since there are some writing problems with this film, one of those writing problems is that his character does a lot of stupid stuff, and he is basically put in the situation of justifying it by shouting a lot and lying uh, about dumb stuff uh, under his breath. Yeah, not only is is the is this movie uh, full of oh look at all of these misunderstandings and how awkward and hilarious are they? They do all of them like two or three times at least. Like every joke is in here. Multiple, well, not even joke. Every awkward situation that the characters are put in happens repeatedly and it's like all right we 
we get it. You can move on now. Yeah, there, there's like sitcom level stuff of like, oh no, I can't tell this person about this tiny little thing. And now all of a sudden that little white lie is spiraled completely out of proportion. What am I going to do? I've been caught. No, it, it, we've got to keep pretending we're diff- this, diff- each other, but th- that makes it difficult to be ourselves around other people who know who we are and stuff. And I guess it helps that Martin Lawrence did have a very long-running sitcom, and Will Smith was on The Fresh Prince, so mm-hmm. they're familiar with the concept. From but the- that is obviously the the least successful stuff in the movie. Yeah, and uh, like you said, Michael Bay was even unhappy with the script that they were. Uh, given to do this, and so there is heavy improvisation in here. Well, he called it. He called the script some bad words, but like <laughs> you can't really, uh, you can't really cut a lot of. Well, you can cut. You could probably cut some of it out, but then it would just be very sort of procedural, perfunctory cop stuff. But, um, yeah, like it, it, it's so procedural that if you were to like snip out a scene, you're like, wait, how how did they all of a sudden get over to there with that witness or that information that? You kind of have to keep it at this two-hour run length, which is not pleasant because the the only good, enjoyable parts of the movie are when Will Smith and Martin Lawrence are being improvisational towards each other in a weird, well, basically like in a vacuum when they when they have nothing to do with the plot and they're just kind of like being angry friend cops together. That stuff's kind of fun, and then everything else is just sort of it's a cop movie. Yeah, and uh, you you can definitely shave some of the running time out of this uh, of this film down. Um, and uh, one way to do that would be to play back all the slow motion shots at full speed. <laughs> well, you can't do that too because that's that's the style stuff. I think uh, I don't remember which interview uh, it was, but this is this is kind of one of the uh, this is kind of the movie that put Will Smith on the map for like being an action star, at least for the next five ten years but uh well he had already I, I, been in independence day prior to this i thought independence day was like 97 or something i thought it was before i'm pretty sure it's not independence day is 96 oh, oh one year afterward he went so close but uh i, re- I remember him uh, in some interview saying he was sitting in the back of the theater during the premiere and uh in the scene came on when he was running in slow motion with his shirt open and some woman in the audience went, mm, you run, Will. And he was just like, <laughs> okay, apparently I'm I'm that guy now. So that's that's the action role I'm going to keep going with. Yeah. That's, that's understandable. Uh, but the... Uh, there There is... So, some other unsuccessful stuff here where there's an ending that doesn't end for forever. Uh, that also could be... Well, they had to blow up the whole thing. Down. Like, it took a while to blow up the stuff. No, but then there's, then there's a car chase, and then they, he he gets hit, but not he doesn't die, and he's got his gun, and he's running, and then he gets shot, and then he falls over, and he still got his gun, and they don't take it from him, and then he turns around, and he's going to shoot him again, and then they fill him full of lead, and then he falls over, and and so it's just like, did did we need like four extra segments of false tension about whether or not the bad guy was going to get away and or shoot them? It was a very bad guy. He deserved to be <laughs> shot in the leg and then taught a lesson face to face. So, I mean, you got to have some some sassy banter between Will Smith and the bad guy because the bad guy killed Will Smith's lady friend. I don't, I don't know what, what the relationship he had with. It was Max. not clearly spelled out. 
because um, he he's he's a he he's he is a ladies man mm-hmm. in the movie, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the lady is a working lady, mm-hmm. so presumably they've crossed paths that way. But also, she's kind of a police informant. Mm-hmm. So, but they're friends. Mm-hmm. Like they maybe they go to the same gym. It's hard to really tell. Yeah, and um, he has his friend who's a masseuse. So <laughs> Max is not. Clearly, his steady girlfriend, I guess. I don't know. The- no, he doesn't. Yeah, he no. Mm-hmm. Masseuse. Anyway, masseuse. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, they they. Uh, but they have. They, that's one of the conflicts of this movie, though. Is of course, uh, Will Smith. Is, his parents died and left him a lot of money, and so he's rich. But he wants to be a cop, and he's always wanted to be a cop, and so he's a cop. And uh, Marcus, uh, Martin Lawrence's character, uh, has always wanted to be a cop, but he was not given anything, really, and has just earned his way up. And he has a family and just wants to uh, uh, deal with his family stuff all the time. And anything that does not directly involve his family in this film infuriates him uh, to an unreasonable level where you'd think... Doesn't your job depend on you not being furious about this right now and storming off back to your home? But whatever. <laughs> also, you would think a, a a detective who, well, we know he's been a detective for at least six years because he's been partners with Will Smith for six years. You, you would think maybe his family would be kind of familiar with the concept of like being undercover, the fact that he's not allowed to be like super honest about what he's working on uh, because he's a narcotics detective. So... Uh, you know, the whole bit about, like, her being, you know, completely upset and not really giving him an inch in terms of, like, you said you were going to be home at five and we need to spend some quality time. It's like, yeah, but he's a cop investigating narcotics crimes. And also the the fact that the police station got robbed of $100 million of... I It was unclear whether or not it was heroin or cocaine, but that guy was eating it like it was cocaine. So I don't know. Uh, I thought they said it, it was heroin, though. Yeah. He... um. That guy wouldn't. Anyway, uh, are we uh, are we going to start think that analyzing the TV. science of this film? <laughs> no, I'm just saying that 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 robbery probably would have been on TV, so she probably would have been able to put like two and two together to like, oh, maybe maybe this is kind of a big deal that the whole station is going to get shut down because they lost a whole lot of drugs. Mm. Maybe. Mm. But yeah, the guy in the really uh, really weird colorful suit he he probably wouldn't have been like uh, super Randy if he was eating heroin all day long just saying i have no idea how how any of that technically was supposed to work it, uh, <laughs> i think i don't have any personal experience but generally uh, i think heroin just makes people want to go to sleep oh well that seems exciting uh sit on the couch and enjoy yourself well at the beginning of this film um we start off with uh, a very minor and low-key uh, exchange with will smith and martin lawrence uh, and some bad guys, and then there is a, a bust of... There's french fries, too. Yeah. Uh, some french fries, too. And then there's a bust of uh, heroin stuff at the police station uh, that these bad guys are going to get, and so the French bad guy shoots their decoy, and he falls out of the truck, and everybody's like, whoa! And they call in the shot guy, and so that is a distraction, so they can go to the police station... And use the ventilation system to uh, put, like, a little sled down there and haul up all of the stuff and then get out of there with all the heroin from the locker that it was in, the evidence locker mm-hmm. that it was in. The, the the robbery mechanics, while not being super original, 
are kind of intriguing. Not that they would work. And I, I love that they try to like hang a lantern on it by Will Smith and Martin Lawrence going like, yeah, this was a great design to put the giant uh, air duct in the, uh, the the little chamber here that had all the drugs in it in case there were any dangerous drug fumes or something. Um, but the way it's shot also makes it more interesting, I guess. Makes it very Michael Bay and very kinetic and action-y or whatever. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a weird foreign bad guy doing brash things to mm-hmm. steal drugs or kill people and stuff which definitely not a theme that carries over into the second one yeah and it reminded me uh of beverly hills cup 2 um and the convoluted confiscation of certain elements <laughs> right it, all you needed was uh was what's her name looking at her watch the whole time and counting down from like a minute <laughs> Brigitte 30 Nielsen. Or whatever. yeah you need her just shouting like <laughs> 90 seconds and it's exactly the same movie uh well there is a bleach blonde lady in this film but she is a receptionist um and we have, and I'm like, you know, they're spending a lot of time with this receptionist. I wonder if she's going to be important to the plot later on in the film. It's very, it's one of those things with like a Law and Order episode or something like that. Where if you watch enough procedurals, you're like, there's a character here who seems to be sticking out for no particular reason. <laughs> I, I'm just a regular public defender played by John Larroquette. I'm like, really? <laughs> I think you might be coming back into the story at some point here. Yeah, so he they uh they have the bad guy make off with the the heroin stuff and things and uh side plot they they try to uh find out who did this by talking to Max and she doesn't know and then she talks to her madam, I guess. I don't I don't know specifically, mm-hmm. but it seems to be the person who assigns her uh sex work p- p- uh job things to do. Um <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, the movie does not technically spell out everything about the relationships of these people, so you just have to assume that that is the boss who is who's assigning Joe, something. Joe Pantoliano calls her a madam at one point. I just like your your attempts to classify what she does. I'm just I just wanna, I want to I want to be as polite as possible. Um, no, I we're not yeah. industry folks. We don't know what the actual terminology is. No, but the uh, they say uh, and and she's like, oh, I don't have anybody that can come along for this thing because it's a thing that requires two people. And the lady, the the madam says, uh, oh, uh, the guy you know is on like a speedball or something like, and there's a lot of people, so he's not going to really care. Just uh, bring whoever along, uh, and so she's bringing her friend who's not a worker along, and that is Tia Leone. By the way, in a movie uh, smattered with bad dialogue, the scene that introduces Tia Leone is probably the worst written scene of this movie, and probably many other movies, where she somehow manages to introduce that. Uh, Max is close friends and potentially in love with Mike Larry. She is uh, staying with temporarily and or living with Max because they're pals. Uh, she feels like she's imposing. Uh, she's not a working girl. Uh, she's just there to hang out for a little bit and they're old friends and stuff. And they do that on like a walk and talk that, that covers like what, like 30 feet or something and all of that dialogue manages to come out. And it's like, good lord guys, like this is not even close to the way human beings speak. Yeah. It's really strange. And the entire time, the camera is doing incredibly distracting things. Uh, and I think that might be a side effect of this dialogue being so bad, 
is that Michael Bay was just trying to come up with some way to make the scene interesting. Oh, sure. Put the camera low, put some pillars in the foreground, dolly along, whatever. Yeah, like, so we're dollying around uh, with, with these foreground out-of-focus pillars and then dollying the other direction when we cut to the other camera angle in the two-shot, and it's just like, uh stop um he doesn't ever stop he just keeps doing that for the rest of his career but uh it's really (laughs) frustrating to watch some say he's still dollying to the end of the shot today (laughs) it's like one of those Uh, like paul bunyan fables um (laughs) he began a dolly move that would never end Mm mm-hmm yeah, it's like uh, he, he was competing against a technocrane to see if uh, his dolly move could last longer than the technocrane that was programmed, and he's still out there, dollying today, proving that he is the dolly master. Oh, I thought you were going to say dolly love, but I was going to be like, that's no. not appropriate. <laughs> no, it's not, no. <laughs> no. Um, no, but, the, but the, the, thank you for not saying that. the rest of the that. movie was, no, I, you, you're welcome. You said it, not me. For the record, <laughs> Joe said that. No, I didn't it. say it. I said that you, I thought you would say it. I thought you would be inappropriate. <laughs> It's totally different if you say it because you thought I was going to say it, though. Totally different. Um, but yeah, really, really badly written scene. And it puts them into the room with a uh, person on drugs who um, is acting like person on drugs in uh, a 1980s, early 90s um, movie or TV show. Uh, I, I would say TV show, judging by the acting. Um by the way, he's not a very good host because everyone knows if you're hosting a party, the first thing you do is if you buy like some sort of charcuterie from the grocery store, you put it on like a nice serving tray to make it look a little bit more elegant. He's just got this big foil brick of heroin sitting right on the end table. At least, you know, some form of presentation, Eddie. Come on. Yeah. I mean, a doily, uh, maybe some 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 crystal or cut glass uh, serving bowls, uh, use something. A, use a sugar bowl so you can you can use that as like a pun every now and then to perk up the conversation. Well, not so much a pun, but just as a as a euphemism for the party. You just be like, oh, I need some more sugar for the party. Um, or sugar, do you need some more sugar? And something really obscenely gross. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. You, yeah. you gotta you gotta find a way to you know. Keep it light. No, but it was in exactly the same container as the previous scene because we're supposed and to. It had the stamp on it, so when the bad guy shows up, he he knows for sure that it's his, and now somebody else's uh, tinfoil brick of heroin. Yes. Well, I mean, it, it's such a, a common thing. You don't want to uh, embarrass yourself, uh, as they say at the airport. All luggage looks alike. Uh, I mean, it's Miami. I assume you can get uh, two kilos of heroin on every street corner. Yeah, and everybody has the same packaging. Uh, you know, it's all Samsonite. Um, so you gotta, you gotta really <laughs> gotta narrow it down. Black Samsonite everywhere. See, what he should have done is is uh, tie a little uh, green bow around his heroin, so he knows it when he comes off the uh, the, the the luggage carousel. Yeah, mine's tan. Um, <laughs> you have a tan piece of string around your Samsonite. Uh, no, it's a, it's a it's a cut piece of tan ribbon. Um, I oh yeah, because I bought the luggage when I was in Tampa because I didn't actually have enough room in my other suitcase to bring stuff back because it was christmas bread home because you can only get it there no because it was christmas and everybody's like oh here you are from out of town here are presents and i was like oh thank you so much and then it's like how much would it cost to ship this i should just buy a suitcase and so i bought a, a suitcase to check and uh i was loading it up with that and my mom's like oh no you're never gonna be able to tell yours apart here and then she tied the little ribbon thing on and i was like this is useful and so i have kept that um ever since that is that is the fable of the <laughs> The tan ribbon. Is it, is it just a regular single bow? Yeah, I think so. Uh, we, I can't. I, I'm not entirely. I guess I think it was. 
um, the the Christmas stuff from that pool of my mom does a lot of extensive Christmas present wrapping, like mm-hmm. extensive. Uh, but uh, it, it's not the the coarse or me- metallic kind of stuff. It, it definitely just feels like a fabric thing. So it, well, sometimes it, you can get the fabric that has like three colors on it, which makes it a little bit more decorative and easier to spot. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Under the wrong lighting conditions, tan can look like a variety of other colors. Mm. Um, and it's also kind of hard to spot if the whole thing is on its face uh, and the little tan thing is wedged into the little track that mm-hmm. the thing rides on because mm-hmm. LAX belts think, are great. Yeah, I think uh, I think this is why... I think my grandma still does this. She would do like three different colors of yarn. So you basically have like three bows tied into one. So you've got kind of like a multicolored sort of uh, larger bow. Oh, it's a, it's a very it's an old lady hack. Cause they got yarn laying around because you know they're crocheting whatever Afghans or something. She crochet a suitcase cozy, a whole cozy for the suitcase. Yeah, you got to protect it though because you know we got some nice new red suitcases uh, a couple years ago, and then you take one trip and they come out of the the thing there. They're all like black and disgusting. Yeah, well, that's why everybody buys black luggage because it doesn't show the marks. See, I don't do that. For, mm-hmm. for the longest time, I traveled with a duffel bag that was uh, like forest green. And boy, is that real easy to spot. Uh, it didn't get too dirty because it was actually a very durable material. But carrying around a uh, duffel bag is not super fun. No, no, it's bad for your back. Um, I, 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 yeah, no, that's not, not for me. Uh, my next major investment is going to be replacing the extra large suitcase that I had from 2000. 2001 i want to say uh so it was very old and it died last year um after the last trip to europe uh because that european baggage handlers i will say this might not be as delicate as uh the baggage handlers we're used to in the united states they're probably all like look at this american with this gigantic suitcase us europeans over here deal with much more uh, elegant and uh, smaller suitcases because we know how to pack better and you just like toss your giant suitcase aside. Well, that's also probably why everybody in Europe's like saran wraps their luggage. Um, and uh, <laughs> have you ever seen that? I have seen that. I think some airports even offer like a saran wrapping station yep. where you can like saran wrap your own bag. That's so weird. I thought that was just like if your bag is like damaged and the zipper is going to explode and shoot clothes all over the place, we'll saran wrap it for you. Yeah, well, it's not because um, <laughs> a lot of people seem to do it, but. Uh, at first, I was very confused because uh, in 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 the states uh, we don't uh, typically do that for reasons. But uh, it was interesting to see that. But uh, I, you you would probably want to do that in Florida to keep your Cuban bread uh, fresh in your suitcase. It's, it's not worth transporting; it goes stale like instantly. Can't you just like warm it up a little bit to sort of soften it? Not really. You can toast it, um, but there's only so much mm. toast you can really eat, Dan. I I enjoy toast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, but anyway, the point of the, 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 the Cuban bread is to get it fresh. It's best when it's fresh, and it is not as good uh, when you get shipped to you. But you got you to gotta get it in Florida, apparently, because you can't get it anywhere else. Yeah, so when you go to Florida, you're going to have your... Uh, <laughs> I can go to Florida? Look at all the crazy crap going on in Florida in this movie. Yeah, well, you're going to go to Florida because you're going to have to save your friend who blah, 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 blah reasons. I don't know. It's going to happen. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm going to be. Uh, my sister is going to be kidnapped, and I'm gonna have to go to Florida and then Cuba immediately thereafter. Well, okay. I haven't met your sister yet. Uh, I, I, it was a joke. 
My sister is Gabrielle Union. Oh, wow. And we're not going to talk about it the, the, for the first uh, two hours mm-hmm. that we're together. But eight years from now, you'll meet my sister. Well, the good news is your sister's Gabrielle Union. But um, the bad news is the abduction. Uh, but let's let's get back to this film. <laughs> the bad news is the abduction. <laughs> bad news, bad news. What are you going to do? Uh, so let's get back to this film. Um, cause we haven't even got past the part where, uh, Max is shot and, uh, Taylor Leone, uh, is escaping from the bad guys and has witnessed the entire thing and has seen the bad guys and knows who they are. Well, not knows who they are, but has, has seen their faces. In instances in this movie, she is incredibly bad at hiding behind things and watching. Yes. Like, they spot her because she's upstairs looking through the little, I don't know, whatever, the railing or something at them. But she's moving, so, of course, the, the light gives her away. And then later, when she's using the binoculars, uh, the the French guy sees her because, like, her whole head is visible through the railing again. Yeah. Although, I will point out, it is highly unusual to have the handful of people who could identify you constantly looking out of windows or over the balconies of things, <laughs> uh, as they do in the club Aww. and they do there. <laughs> It's a small and lean team. Everyone has to pull uh, duty in multiple jobs. So, you know. Yeah. Well, uh, but anyway, yes, Tia Leone is not. Also, I'm going to throw out a controversial opinion here. I don't love the performance that she turns in for this. <sighs> She's a little wooden. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the main reason that walk and talk where she introduces herself is so bad is because uh, she she's not very natural. Max is not particularly natural, and you don't have either Will Smith or Martin Lawrence there to sort of break it up and improvise and make it naturaler, more natural. I don't know. But, like, it's just the two of them. They're like, we are friends. We are doing a thing together. Hello. We have been friends for so long. We we are such good friends. Look at our friendship. Yeah. I, I wonder... Uh, I mean, there there are like jokey stories about it from the Transformers era, but I wonder what Michael Bay's auditions were like back then. Was it just like, let's see what you look like covered in grease uh, and uh, sprinting with a really harsh like three quarter backlight, and can you like furrow your brow and let's see let's see what you look like? Because like the very dramatic scene at the end there, where uh, the 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 French guys running away and Will Smith shoots him in the knee or whatever, like he's kneeling down. And you see from the wide shot that Martin Lawrence is standing next to him and Taylor is standing next to him. He's kneeling down, like trying to get a good angle to shoot. Uh, and then they cut to an extreme close up where Taylor face is like three inches away from uh, his face, and they're both just like looking in like slow motion. It's like, wait a minute, why is her face right there? Is it just because like we got a hard backlight and they're both like? covered in grease and sweat and we want to, it looks very dramatic like there's no reason for them to be that close together uh there isn't and there are many 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 continuity errors if you actually watch the shop composition of this film and other michael bay films um there's a really bad one in the next film uh, that drives me up the wall but we'll talk about that later worse than the cigar that uh, magically goes from joe pantaleon's mouth to his hand uh the you know when Michael, uh, 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 when uh, Martin Lawrence and uh, 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 shoot, what was it? Uh, Martin Lawrence, you know, Will Smith and Gabrielle Union are talking to each other about how they haven't talked to Martin Lawrence about uh, the fact that they had seen each other before, and mm-hmm. there are palm tree frond shadows that shift from each side of the two shot because they shot them all 
at once at different times of day. So they're not in the same spot when they keep cutting back and forth. And it makes me angry. I don't think this is the where they're like sitting on a, like a hammock or whatever. You'll notice it next week. No, I, I know, the, I know the scene. Yeah, I just they're, they're not don't. on a hammock. They're standing up. Uh, oh, the one where, where she like runs out and tries to kiss him. He's like, Hey, don't do that. Cause we're leaning against this palm tree here. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. All I've right. seen that movie a lot of times too. <laughs> All right. Anyway, it just, it, 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 continuity, um, is overrated in, you know, Michael Bay's opinion. Uh, and it's, you know, you could definitely argue that he is correct, that it, it doesn't break, make or break the movie and it shouldn't really distract you, uh, unless the, um, things in the movie are not, uh, really holding your attention to Leone. Um, but, uh, that, that, that scene with her running away and all that stuff, it's just like, whatever. And then, uh, she calls up, uh, Mike Lowry and only wants to talk to Mike Lowry and this is dumb, but, uh, she's, she's doing all this stuff and uh joe pantoliano and martin lawrence are the only ones who were there because will smith went off to do the whatever and uh joe pantoliano uh needs to have her come in because that's the witness uh and and he wants to put her under protection but he can't have anybody else but mike lowry do it so he he wants uh martin lawrence to pretend to be mike lowry uh and mike lowry and uh uh, Marcus uh, doesn't want to do it because he has to get home to his family. He's, you know, over this whole thing and doesn't want to deal with it. And, you know, he's got to be home with his wife and his kids and blah, 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 blah. And he's so crabby about it. Uh, but then he finally agrees, uh, but basically goes to Taylor Leone's place. Uh, she tries to hit him with a baseball bat uh, and they rest the baseball bat uh, from one another. And there is some very 90s interior design uh, and they are chased out of there with the dogs uh, by gunfire from two of the, the idiot henchmen who have shown up. Yeah, one of the more unbelievable things about this movie is the fact that Martin Lawrence is uh, not just like comedy sidekick, but also like able to fight and stuff. I don't object to him fighting. I, j- I think that he just does a lot of other things about his uh, alleged police profession that are just incredibly nonsensical and dumb like putting up the argument about doing this to get the one witness that they have into their protection uh it's like what are you what else you gonna do like what's your what's the alternative here and then uh even when he gets her into protection he doesn't call his wife so he just shows up on his doorstep and he smells like perfume etc and gets in trouble for that and he leaves the person he's supposed to be protecting alone in uh will smith's apartment it's just yeah. He does a lot of dumb stuff. Like you figure once uh Will Smith was uh conscious again that they would have like dropped the act because he seemed to be far more comforting to her than Martin Lawrence did. So she'd be like, "Oh, you lied to me or whatever, but now that I see that Will Smith is here, I'm okay with that." Yeah. But wouldn't it be funnier if they didn't? <laughs> Uh, well, we have an answer to that question. And the answer is no. The answer is no, yes. <laughs> yeah. The, the, yeah, because we, what we wind up with is a lot of scenes of them trying to work through the investigation by popping in and out of, uh, uh, Mike Lowry's apartment with Taya Leone and also Martin Lawrence's, uh, Marcus's residence with, uh, his wife, uh, Teresa. And, trying to 
uh, go back and forth between those two things and also conduct the police investigation outside of there, but not really super duper protecting Taya Leone. Um, and just all the hilarious misunderstandings that come from this process. It's just really, it's just silly. It's very silly. Really hilarious misunderstandings is what they are. Yeah. Like, uh, a notable misunderstanding it it comes from this very first uh, moment of Martin Lawrence coming across uh, Will Smith after he's uh, barely conscious and holding the uh, ice pack over the back of his neck. Um, they're walking in and yelling at one another uh, and scolding each other. Uh, uh, well, Martin Lawrence is scolding Will Smith about things, and then they find Joe Pantoliano, and then Joe Pantoliano is the first person to reveal that uh, Marcus was impersonating uh, Mike Lowry. Uh, and had put the person in witness protection uh, and put them inside of Michael Lowry's apartment. And that could have been basically the entire point of the previous scene of them walking into the police station, but it wasn't for no good reason. It's because, uh, yeah, he's he's in so much of a hurry to to read him the riot act that he doesn't even bother getting to the uh, the pertinent information, the the, the job-related things. They're, yeah. not, they're not great cops because they let a lot of their their personal issues get in between them. Yeah, and the the, the it's not necessarily bad that they have personal issues that get between them. It's that the ones that they choose to highlight here are uh weak. They they are they don't have the substance to support the conflict that we see. You can kind of just feel Michael Bay going like, all right, I need to get you guys from this cab uh, into your office without really addressing the plot stuff yet because uh, Joe Pantoliano's got to be there too for that stuff. So just um, yell at each other about stuff. Like, you got a concussion because you got hit with a sledgehammer and thrown out a window, uh, and you had to deal with all that other crap. So, like, just, you know, be angry with each other for, like, 40 yards, and then once you get into the basketball gym which is somewhere on this location it's where i do all my police captaining from sure sure i and he's very dedicated to that one basketball because he keeps going after that even though there are 30 other basketballs closer to him that's because it's important for continuity that he uses the same basketball either that or the other ones are like glued down to the floor (laughs) so he doesn't mess them up accidentally they're all cardboard um no but the uh they they have the the scene and joe pantoliano does what joe pantoliano does where he just shouts and yells and rants about how they need to do the stuff and, and tells them to shut up uh, and and just do what he what he tells them to do because he is dealing with uh, uh, Mark Hellenberger uh, as Captain Allison Sinclair who's come in to basically bust up the police department. Uh, you know, she's she's from in, she's the Internal Affairs and oh boy yeah. they screwed up by losing all this heroin or whatever. She was pretty good on whichever C- or CSI she was on? CSI. Yes. She was on CSI, yeah. right? The the main uh, CSI show. Right. Um, she's not good in this. No. She's really she's bad. She's not given much to work with other than like, ah, go be menacing with a weird haircut. Oh, but, God. Her haircut's so ridiculously bad. It's you know, so bad. I think we, we talked about it a little bit mm-hmm. in the Back to the Future movies, but it feels a lot like the writers of this movie are not familiar with women. Mm, no. At all. At all. The way they no. speak, the way they act, the way they look, not at all. No. And what's funny is 1995 was a very big year for uh, Mark Hellenberger, and so she was also in Species this year. 
Uh, remember oh Species? Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, I try not to remember Species because it, <laughs> it's atrocious. Uh, what, she was, what, what was she in that movie? Was she like the investigator or something? No, she was uh, Dr. Laura Baker uh, in Species. Hmm. She's the doctor lady. She was an Aaron Brockovich? I didn't remember that either. No, she was. In, she's been in a lot of things. It's just. Oh yeah, for sure. She's yeah. a, she's a great actress, but in this movie, no, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who let down what. Okay, I should say she's a talented actress. Uh huh. But this movie, uh, no. Yeah, no talents on display here at all. Basically, it um, feels like they shot her rehearsals and then they just like, yeah, we're good, we're done. And I know that this movie was incredibly low budget, and they often got very few takes of certain things. And apparently, Michael Bay gave. $25,000 of his salary back just so they could keep that end uh, hangar explosion scene in the movie because they were going to have to cut it for budgetary reasons. But, you know, it feels like they would have had enough time to do a take where people were actually acting. Yeah. and But, you know, part of that might be because it's so poorly written and he doesn't believe in the script and then he can't really give them the motivation they need to pull off the bad writing. <laughs> So, sure, and not every yeah. actor is going to be like, yeah, bro, let's improvise. Let's do this up. I'll come up with whatever I feel like saying on the day, and then uh, we'll just we'll just make it great. Not, yeah. not, everyone's, not everyone works that way or would be interested in that idea. Also, when you're supposed to be playing a button-down professional who's very by the book and uh, is cracking down on uh, uh, issues of discipline within the department, uh, you, you can't really do that off-the-cuff improvising every scene. Right, like, what would that look like? She'd walk in and just, like, stare him in the eye and go, like, F you, and then hit him in the face with a file folder and then, like, walk out or something? Yeah, it doesn't 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 work. Also, it doesn't really give the same uh, effect for the story. She was on 260 episodes of CSI colon crime scene investigation as Catherine <laughs> Willows. <laughs> She's pretty good in CSI. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly one of the the more, uh, I don't know, her character had a lot more um, backstory and interest than some of the other characters in CSI. Yes, I would agree with that. Um, and, and I also, she was, uh, I would say, competent and uh, pretty clear-headed about things. Where She was in charge after, uh, what's-his-name left, wasn't she? Uh, not really. I think she was temporarily in charge, and then they like brought in Ted Danson or whatever, and oh, that's right, Lawrence Ted Fishburne, Danson. and there was a rotating, revolving door of people they tried to replace uh lead actor guy with, and then she left the series, um, uh, in uh 2012, and then she came back for three uh guest spots, uh, in 2013 and 2015. I think I remember that. So anyway. Uh, that, that is a very minor character in this film. Um, and she does nothing really of consequence, but she becomes a complication for, uh, whenever the audience is asking why they don't have backup or why they don't call something in or why they don't, uh, do any normal real police work. Uh, the excuse is always that they can't do it because then they're going to raise the attention of Captain Allison Sinclair and then yes. they'll be in trouble for doing real police work. I guess. But also, they're on a ticking clock, both because the drugs... Well, initially, they're on a ticking clock because... Uh, what does he say? He got 72 hours before 
the FBI and Internal Affairs come here and take the case away from us and shut us down because somebody's going to have to get in trouble because we lost all these drugs. And then they're on a ticking clock because uh, Taylioni says they're they're getting rid of the drugs. They're selling the drugs in four days. Uh, and then they're on another ticking clock because they uh, they are actually shut down by Internal Affairs, uh, but they need to solve this on their own before... Uh, the drug shipment happens, and also they kidnapped Tay Leone, uh, and then they, they need to they need to do that before uh, what's her name finds out that they're working without the appropriate jurisdiction. And then the, there's another thing. Well, I guess that's at one point Pantaleano sort of like swallows his pride and calls in backup and says like, "Hey, we're doing a thing. We need help," which I guess is the right thing to do if you're a captain. Except it's kind of off the book and that they don't know where they're going or what they're doing yet, but they, he's just calling in people to do things. I need lots of SWAT team people. I, I, give me all the SWATs. I don't know. It, it doesn't it doesn't make a tremendous amount of sense, uh, but it's just supposed to be there so that we can justify all of the scenes in the movie of Will Smith and Martin Lawrence running around like idiots and getting shot at. Um and I mean, have, you know, having all their other problems. The pretense of the movie is pretty thin in the first place. Like, do you really need the added wrinkle of internal affairs, like trying to shut them down? Couldn't it just be like, oh, no, they stole all our drugs and drugs are bad to be out in the world and we should go get those back. And also they killed my friend. Yeah. And also uh, we can't call people because we don't have cell phones, I guess. Um but uh right. and when you're you're nominally undercover nominally uh yeah it it's it doesn't make a, a lot of sense uh, but they they have the whole shebang where they uh have uh Martin Lawrence continue to pretend to be undercover uh as uh as his friend uh and partner Mike Lowry uh while uh Marcus um, is now played by Will Smith because he's going to uh, Will Smith as Mike Lowry as uh, someone who is interested in protecting Marcus's family is going to be basically protecting them while Marcus is out of town, quote unquote. Um, And uh, he's there because the bad guys may have seen the license plate on Marcus's station wagon, which he used to pick up Tay Leone. Uh, which no one really thought he would probably need to do. Um, you know, when you're getting a car to go pick somebody up from a potentially uh, at least they don't let that happen situation. in the second movie. Yeah, he actually gives him some crap for driving his personal vehicle and says that's why we drive police cars. Sorry. Yep. Well, that, that was for insurance stuff. But uh, so anyway, they got a much nicer car in the second movie too. <laughs> well, I mean. Anything's nicer than a Porsche. But, uh, <clears throat> uh, so they, they, <laughs> sorry, Germany, but <laughs> send your letters to Dan. I don't think Italy is going to argue with that. Yeah. Send your letters to Dan or, uh, Casey Liss. Um, but, uh, so they, they, I don't have a problem with German cars. <laughs> the, the, I mean, the joke was that I was, anyway. Uh, so they, they they they, uh, they they make this arrangement basically, and part of that is uh, Taylioni asking why there are so many photos of uh, Will Smith inside of the apartment of uh, Marcus, uh, who is Mike Lowry, who is Martin Lawrence. 
One for every time he saved his life because they're partners and best friends, which is why you would have a photo of somebody when they were a teenager playing basketball. Yes, uh, because they saved each other's lives there on the court that day. Uh, but they... I, don't, I don't think the photos needed to be concurrent with the life-saving event. No, but it, what, was, what, was, what was silly about that, though, is I, I can't buy into the premise that Will Smith's character... Well, I mean, maybe he... I mean, he is vain, but do you know anybody who has that many photos of themselves in one spot inside of their home? Uh... Unless it is like, and I'm not talking about pers- family photos where yeah, they unless you were to be... saying it's like you and your wife or you and your kid or you and whomever your partner just like up on the wall like these are our family photo wall over here. That that yes, but a single a single ladies man like Mike, Lair- no, no, that would be very odd. Just a lot of photos of a single ladies man all over the place. Either uh, that or maybe like this <clears throat> one wall is like the entirety of his uh, personal possessions because everything else is just kind of like art. Like maybe all he owns of his 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 past is like fifteen photos. Be kind of sad, especially since they seem sort of recent. Uh, but <laughs> he's a sad, lonely man searching for uh, <laughs> comfort in in the arms of many different women. It's really a cry for help. In the arms of an angel. Uh, but uh, they... <laughs> it's not a pound puppy. <laughs> uh, they they uh, they have a, a lovely little improvised homophobic scene with. Uh, Martin Lawrence saying no, he's he's not he's not gay because he does sex so much in the bed because they're dense, uh, and she probably slept in the dents of his his hip thrusts or whatever. <laughs> he's not gay because he does sex so much. <laughs> I mean, that's my summary of that. You, no, you, that was a good. That was a good summary. It yeah. was funnier than the scene itself. Yeah, uh, I mean, far be it for me to uh, to give notes. <laughs> to Martin Lawrence, um, but uh, but yeah, no, he he dropped the ball on that one, uh, and I would say it does not hold up and and stand the test of time. There are also I mean, some like his, his entire character development is like trying to attack his uh, his libido and his like married life. Like, oh, you're lazy married guy. You don't you only have to satisfy one woman, and your life is a wreck over there and crazy and whatever. And he's like, hey, I like being married. What's the matter with you? Yeah, he likes being married, but then at the same time he complains about it nonstop too, uh, which I guess is normal for marriage. But uh, but he's he's uh, there. There is a lot of uh, issues that this character seems to have about uh, emasculation, I guess. But uh, any any anywho, that's not the point of the scene. I I feel like yeah, that the entirety of that is very just. Uh, action movie 1995, but they did steer into it pretty hard. Yeah, and then they sit down and they do the bologna sandwiches and uh, face ID. Um, and uh, <laughs> face ID. Yeah. Well, they they're flipping through mugshots on a computer, and mm-hmm. uh, you're watching the mugshots render on screen, scan line by scan. Aggressive JPEGs. Dip it as pickle and coke. That's that's very unhealthy. Yeah. And probably disgusting tasting. Can't say. I'm not really going to try it. But uh, they they uh, uh, identify that the guy is the bad guy in the thing because they have this mugshot. And then uh, Tay Leone has like a weird flashbacky like I don't know how to describe it like music video uh, art house kind of thing where it's like flash cut to white and then back down again and then like little fragments of memories 
about the the scene to to mm-hmm. show that it's really deeply dramatically affecting her, presumably because she could not emote that um, since she just kind of turns like into a a, a deer in headlights uh, whenever she she has a strong memory. Do you remember when? Uh, I guess it kind of peaked around Enemy of the State when that effect where it would like it would flash brighter on the cut, but the film would also get faster, like right as it cut. Uh, was just like on everything, like every commercial music video movie. Uh, I seem to recall it being popular for a few years in the late nineties. Yes, it's because everyone learned how to do it. Because the the trick is what you do is you you halfway press down the stop button on the on the camera, so your film starts to slow, which means the frame rate gets faster and more light hits it, so it gets brighter, and then you let back off of it. Oh. Hmm. Once you learn that trick. She's gonna do it everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's like that's like your third class in film school. <laughs> Can't do that anymore with digital. Oh no, digital's ruined everything. Now you can just. No, th- but then people gain would get like they would shoot it. that kind of crap, those flashes on black, and then save those out as like animation codec QuickTime files. I swear, I still have like gigs and gigs of these of just like film flashes that people would just like multiply or uh, screen over top of their footage to make it look more filmy. Oh, an Instagram so filter. Yeah, but it's it's an animated Instagram filter of uh, light leaks. Yeah. You should you should put together a little little app for that, um, but but yeah, uh, no. yeah, you could call that a pro lost. But uh, <laughs> the I like the pro lost light leaks. They're very nice. <laughs> I have them in my Lightroom. The the I don't know what I have like four different cameras. Yeah, I, I was I was merely poking fun. But uh, how dare you have uh, fun at my light leaks expense? <laughs> uh. Light leaks are my family. You have photos of light leaks all on your wall? <laughs> Technically, every photo is a photo of a light leak. It's just a very controlled <laughs> light leak. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, so she, she IDs and has the strong feeling. And then uh, also they have uh, other stuff that happens. And basically, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to skip forward. There's a scene with a club um, where they decide they're going to go in and scope the place out and Tay Leone is sitting there by herself all upset that she's been sitting there for the whole movie inside this apartment and then she has her flashback thingy again uh, and then realizes that she has a gun in her hands and then realizes that she can go to the club and so she just awkwardly stalks out of frame um, and uh, then suddenly she's at the club with uh, with everybody else. Uh, and- club Hell, which has uh, tinfoil wrapped dead bodies hanging from the ceiling, which is actually kind of a cool look but very... Very nineties, yeah, and some the, sort of Rob Zombie remix. Is that what that was no, going on there too? No, no, no. K K M F D M. Oh, is that what that was? Juke Joint Jezebel. Oh uh, god, see, I I could never identify a K M F D M song by ear. So thank you for pointing that out. Well, it's also in the soundtrack for uh, Mortal Kombat, which came out the same year. Uh, this is March, and Mortal Kombat came out in August. Wait, that that song was in the first Mortal Kombat movie? Yes, it was on the soundtrack. Huh. And I own the soundtrack, so that's why I can I identify it. Well, <laughs> plus you like to listen to EDM-style crap when you do VFX work, don't you? Not particularly, uh, but... I thought uh, that was your thing for concentrating when you were doing, like, Roto or something. Oh, no, usually it's, like, action scores. Um, and no, I wouldn't <laughs> use the action score to Bad Boys, since that's going to be your next question, because I find it kind of repetitive <sighs> and uh, loopy. It was everywhere. I told you this in our Slack, but 
uh, the the score by what's his name Mark Mancina, sure was in everybody's stupid spy assassination action movie crap in film school. I re- like they would you they would manage to use like eight different songs in like a nine minute short film. It's just like constantly this. How do you, how would you even describe it? It's just sort of like I don't know violin stabs and like drums and stuff. Yeah, well, it is very much in the vibe of uh, Hans Zimmer's uh, little camp. Hans Zimmer basically has a uh, sort of movie score company uh, uh, where he has people that work under him as kind of like ghostwriters and also like producers on things. And so sometimes you'll see Hans Zimmer accredited, um, but then there are a lot of other people who wind up working on it. And then you'll go off and see them on other projects later on. And it sounds like the thing that, that you heard before. And that's because they were on the other project as a ghostwriter for a couple of the songs, at least. Uh, so it's, is that what happened in this movie? I don't know if that's specifically what happened in this movie since uh, he's directly credited, but uh, like he worked with Hans Zimmer on The Lion King and did the arrangements for the songs while Hans Zimmer did the orchestral score. Um, like he worked on Speed and Twister, and uh, it's 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 odd. There are a lot of people who are sort of Hans Zimmer like because they have just passed through Hans Zimmer's orbit uh, of working with him. And I would I would put Mark Mancina in that in that little camp. Mm. Mm-hmm. I uh I I was just inadvertently uh trying to Google the soundtrack real quick or the score, and uh the only thing that comes up is of course the the very popular Bad Boys Two soundtrack, and I I very much forgot about the Nelly P Diddy Shake Your Tail Feather song that was everywhere all over. That trailer slash movie slash year and a half or whatever. <sighs> we should have just watched Bad Boys Two twice because there's probably <laughs> enough to talk about in Bad Boys Two. Uh, anyway, yeah, well, we're almost done with this one. Because um, inside the the club hell scene, um, uh, Martin Lawrence decides he has to go to the bathroom by himself, and uh, from the balcony, uh, the one guy who can recognize him recognizes him. Because uh, he just happens to be looking out of the glass at the same time. I, I like how two different guys get that same scene where they're like, oh my god, it's that person, it's that person, bang against the glass. Like, they they did it twice. Uh-huh, literally. Because uh, the, the French the guy... The one guy took his hat off. He took it was very into it. Yeah, and the French guy does that too. Um, later on when he recognizes Taylor Leone. Uh, it, it's, it's so... Uh, it, it's just absurd. But they, I, I can understand the difficulty they had of like trying to... Like, figure out how do you get these people to see one another inside of this club environment? Uh, and the only way is, like, somebody is up high and they can look down and see the other people, uh, people and the other people can look up and see them. Uh, yeah, it's the same reason uh, the pigeon lady in uh, Home Alone 2 hung out up in the top there. She so could see everybody. Exactly. And that's how she knew right where to go to in uh, in the park so that she could throw the bird seed on the, the, the sticky bandits. But um, anyway... How great would that have been if they just threw birdseed inside this club? <laughs> they just descended from the ceiling. Like there's this there's the scene back at Lowry's apartment where the the French guy finally shows up to because tr- he tracked him down to kill him and he's pointing the gun at everybody and then just the pigeon lady pops up from behind the front <laughs> desk and throws birdseed all over the French guy. It would have been great. Uh, Ch- Chet the doorman's down there like, all right, whatever you gotta throw birdseed, you gotta throw birdseed. 
Yeah, so that's not what happens here. Instead, we get uh, a, a bathroom brawl uh, where Martin Lawrence is peeing at a urinal, and then uh, some guy who looks like he's in Hell's Angels uh, comes up next to him and starts to pee in the urinal next to him. Note, there are several other empty urinals, so obviously there's something very suspicious going on if you are in a men's bathroom uh, that has no partitions and someone comes up to use the urinal directly next to you. Uh, when there are other vacant no urinals, but those urinals that like come extra far out—that that is very poor design. Yes, yes, but you need the urinals that come extra far out because you have to put somebody's head in it uh, later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so they do uh, once they they have their fight here because it turns out that the guy who looks like he's in Hell's Angels is actually a bad guy because he has a plastic bag. <laughs> he's a bad guy who's got gallon Ziploc bags. Just you know, whatever he needs, and he pulls them out of his pocket. Yeah, I like how their plan is they have one guy with a knife who's going to come up at him from the front, and then the other guy is going to just use a flimsy plastic bag over the guy's head. It's like, what if you gave both of them knives? (laughs) Or what if you just (laughs) put him in a headlock and then stab him? Like, he's not going to be able to run away. Yeah, or both of them guns or something. Like, I I don't know. It seemed seemed poorly poorly considered, this plan. Um, But uh, they do manage to to uh, cause Martin Lawrence some distress as he action cops his way out of there. And uh, he finally gets thrown into the fish tank, which gets Will Smith's attention. Um, But he doesn't get to really do much of anything. Uh, Martin Lawrence defeats both of the bad guys in the bathroom and puts one guy's head inside of the toilet, uh, inside of the the urinal. Uh, It's full of greenish, yellow, orange crud, uh, which is delightful. So, so, so super cool. Uh, And, uh, he walks out of there huffing and puffing uh, to Will Smith, and Will Smith's giving him crap about uh, how he must have done something. And Taya Leone walks in, and she just stands in the middle of the club, uh, all eyes on me. Um, and she holds up her her uh, Beretta or whatever uh, and aims it at the, the balcony where a French guy is looking down at her. And before she has the chance to fire... Uh, Will Smith knocks her hand down so she doesn't shoot up into the balcony at the guy. Uh, <laughs> Probably wounding a dancer. Yes. I mean, when you look at what must have happened with the number of people that were there, I'm surprised it didn't go through like three or four people. Uh, but they don't ever address that. So I assume everyone was fine. Uh, and they get her out of there. And there are other bad guys chasing them, so they confiscate a truck that happens to be nearby, which is, of course, the fastest vehicle one can get, uh, and most maneuverable uh, under all conditions. And at this point, they still have not um, called anyone, presumably because they have no mobile communications in in this point in time, uh, and they, uh, they speed off in their truck, uh, only to realize, once they get going, that the back of the truck is full of tanks of ether. Um, big old Duke Nukem tanks of ether. Uh, and that is a problem because it explodes. So they're basically driving a giant bomb. Is it a problem or an opportunity? Because you're in a car chase, you could throw the ether out the back, shoot at it with your gun and go kaboom. You know what you call a situation where it's both a problem and an opportunity inside of a film? A proportunity. Mm. Cause now you get to throw tanks at the back of the car. <laughs> moving vehicle well if it's if it's inside of a film specifically is it a film opportunity uh sure sure okay mm-hmm. cool F- film opportunity it is yeah so they, they 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 do the thing tanks boom um 
they yeah then i like how like one of them knocks them to the side so like the the bad guys chasing them like crash their car into a barricade and then i guess they're just like slightly downhill from all of the other flaming tanks of ether that just like slowly roll up against the side of the car and explode yeah it, it definitely wasn't some pas off camera just like push these kegs towards the car while they're on fire and then uh action news five or ten or whatever uh their helicopter hovers over and films the entire thing with uh Martin Lawrence and Will Smith yelling at one another and Tay Leone yelling and there's so much yelling. Um, and Martin Lawrence is upset because they needed to get the drugs back because that was important. And Tay Leone's upset because the drugs aren't important. Uh, busting the killer of her friend Max is important. Uh, and how could he not care about that? And uh, Mike Lowry uh, as Will Smith is uh, upset because he agrees with both of them um, and tries to calm them down. Uh, and they try to regroup on this. It, it's basically around this point where uh, Taya Leone becomes very dumb. Like mm-hmm. she wasn't particularly intelligent the whole way through, she, but she was a normal human being. And at this point, she's gone rogue, tried to shoot a man in the middle of a club. Uh, she is just, I, 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 you can't, you can't even justify anything she's doing. She's, she's arguing for vigilante justice like not, not even like ah we gotta catch her killer it's like no i need to go shoot her killer in the face in a in the bar like that's and then we'll be done but yeah protective she, custody you could argue that she might be in shock but since the police officers she's with have no interest in diagnosing that we're helping her with that like she seems bored though yeah. right well she seems uh she probably has a little cabin fever being being locked up inside the the nice apartment uh, oh no that really nice apartment for like three whole days mm-hmm why did she turn on the TV, watch a movie or something? Yeah, she's only, relax. She she only has two dogs to keep her company. Uh, but uh, and, order, and order in some Postmates. Have, have him bring you a bottle of wine or something and some food. Yeah, go talk to the door guy. Um, he seems to always work there, uh, no matter what, uh, because that's how that works. Except when he gets off in a couple hours. <laughs> yes, but uh, they they have an awkward scene where they're trying to sort some stuff out and then uh teresa comes in because she saw all this on the news uh and she's yelling that they're through blah 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 big argument and taylor Leone's figured out that uh mike lowry is really mike lowry and marcus is really marcus and uh she she says she had a suspicion um and of course she did because it was a suspicion from earlier but why nobody thought of sorting that out till right this moment i don't mm, understand uh, but then she packs up her stuff to leave because she doesn't feel safe there because everything's just wackadoodle. Uh, I can't argue with that necessarily, I guess, but she doesn't seem to have a good backup plan because what she does is walk into a lobby full of bad guys. And uh, the lobby full of bad guys um, turns into a little bit of a little death box where everybody is shooting up everything. Uh, and But it's conveniently timed, though, because Teresa happens to be there. So she's like, ah, you two are doing something weird and you're cheating on your family i don't believe that she's a witness then all of a sudden there's gunfire she's like i'm so sorry do what you gotta do go protect us and stuff and uh then that that fixes things for him yep by the way i was just looking at photos on imdb and uh leone is wearing between nine and ten rings on her hands (laughs) was the style of the time (laughs) I don't know how you do anything with that much metal on your fingers. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But uh they they uh they get out of this scenario except that there was bad stuff and things and people have been abducted. Um and so they got to do stuff but they can't Sinclair and things and now they take the girl, they get shut down. Yeah. They're going rogue. Yeah. Uh this this may seem very familiar next week. Uh, but then they, they go rogue by calling in all their favors for the people. Uh, and they say yes, of course. And they go do their police operation that's off the record from the internal affairs thing. I don't know. None of this seems particularly like a good idea. And All that's uh, important is he's got bulletproof vests and machine guns in the front trunk of his uh, Porsche. And uh, they they finally enlist uh, Ruiz and Vargas to you know help them out, and not just like make jokes at each other. This mm-hmm. is serious; something that could get you killed. Because mm-hmm. they're they're sitting on the steps arguing about uh, I Love Lucy, which because uh, apparently they have nothing better to do. So uh, they they enlist them, take them take them on down to the uh, the landing strip where they tracked a cell phone somehow. Well, you see what happens is. As the character in the film explains, uh, once you make a phone call with a cell phone, then they can track the cell phone even when the phone call is over. And so they can track it to where the the cell phone stops moving. Yeah, I feel like that, that myth was perpetuated for uh, many, many years uh, and people got all of their information from that because I feel like I believed that for a while. Yeah, this is the, the precursor to CSI here. The pre mm-hmm. the the precursor to Nash Bridges right here. Uh, it's like uh, it's like in Go too when he throws the phone out the car and he's like, "It's a cell phone. They can track it even if you don't answer it or something." It's like, mm, sure. Well, you can triangulate. They can triangulate the signal of a cell phone, um, but in 1995, with the technology at their disposal, I do not believe that was possible. Probably wouldn't have been a dot driving down a highway towards an airstrip. No, and certainly not with the fake infrared 8-bit thing going on. Um, <laughs> you know, and then, then like a big cursor goes over it and it says locked. Um, <laughs> yeah, you really locked in on it. Anyway, so they, they track it to the thing. Uh, they're in a hangar where there's a guy who has a car who's loading it up on his plane and he's got all the... <laughs> The, the heroine in exchange for money and he wants to do the thing and that's what the whole point of this film was and you can There's make a very very stereotypical drug lord man in a double-breasted white suit with a mustache mm-hmm. and then they do their there's a wire transfer but there's also a suitcase with a little bit of cash because you need something to fly in the air and catch on fire in a dramatic way when stuff blows up uh, and you see all the burning money and like oh no look at the burning money uh, but the 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 drug the drug lord guy also has a very fast car because he's he's taking it back home with him as like a special treat or something like I don't know why that had to be at the same time that he was getting his many 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 bricks of heroin but whatever uh, shooting shooting exploding lots of ether there's lots of there's lots of cases of ether just like leftover ether mm-hmm. in the hangar because I don't know ether like that you just can't get rid of because it's useful and very valuable. It's like it's like Doom or or Duke Nukem where there's just like tanks of ether just lying around everywhere. Uh, it like there are, there's literally a stack of ether tanks that say ether in big letters right underneath the airplane where one of the bad guys is getting on to fly out of the hangar. Uh, presumably they would have moved it before he flew, but uh, they end up shooting that to blow up not only him but the the that part of the plane as well. 
Um, That's the one where the guy goes flying out and like lands into the like uh, bookshelf thing or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's just it's a little it's a little convoluted and silly, and it goes on far too long for what really is involved in the scene and the number of people involved in the scene. Uh, there's some, there's the, you gotta have time for the shooting and then the slow motion spinning and the pointing of the guns and the diving to knock people down and then you know more explosions and death and carnage and oh no somebody's about to get shot but oh no somebody else popped up behind them and shot them instead first to save the other guy and it's it's very it's whatever you've seen the scene a hundred times yeah and the physics of this make no sense like martin lawrence is standing there with a gun that he has pointed at a bad guy and Taya leone is there and she is looking She's doing her deer in headlights thing, uh, and there's a, the 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 bad guy who has his gun pointed at Taylioni. Instead of Martin Lawrence shooting the bad guy, he takes the time to jump from his position, fly through the air, land on Taylioni to knock her to the ground with his legs up in the air so that his legs get shot. The timing on that has several question marks because the bad guy would have had to wait for Martin Lawrence to get a running shot and then get up into the air high enough that he was falling onto Taya Leone. So why the bad guy didn't shoot not only Taya Leone, but also Martin Lawrence in the amount of time it took him to do that, I don't know. And why Taya Leone couldn't have ducked in that same amount of time, I don't know. And why Martin Lawrence couldn't have just shot the bad guy in that amount of time, I don't know either. But they want to have the dramatic moment of him taking the bullet for somebody else, and so that's what they have, narratively. Yeah. Because, I don't know, it was dramatic. He got to jump and stuff. And then, you know, Will Smith gets shot in his bulletproof vest, so he's, like, on the ground rolling around or whatever. And time's wasting. The whole place is going to blow up. Get up and get in the car and blah, blah, blah. And then they escape just in time for the, the whole place to explode. But also the bad guy escaped on the drug dealer guy's shelby cobra so there's a car mm-hmm. chase now yeah and, you know you're on a runway so of course why wouldn't you want to have a car chase because you got a long way to go you can go real fast and stuff and you get cool high angles and things and it's uh it's, it's less of a chase and more of a race i guess because there's like one small gap at the end of the runway that one car can fit, can fit through and the goal of the race is just to like push the other guy out of the way and get through the gap because the other person's going to crash into the wall yeah not not a, not a terribly no uh, safe or smart thing to do. No, this is like the bike race in Tron. It's I I, I gotta say, I leave it leaves a lot to be desired. Again, this is the part of the movie where we've we've landed on the endings that don't end. Um, because after this this face off thing, where Will Smith has to berate Marcus into driving hit that car fast enough and into the other car to knock it out of the way so that they can get through because berating that character's driving earlier in the film was a, a key component uh to to his character uh and so now he now he learns how to drive and that's how you drive from now on that's how you drive etc did you um, like that because that that line is used in the second one now you know where it came from yes now i do know where it came from because i uh, felt incomplete to this very moment. Uh, but the <laughs> it filled a hole in your heart. <laughs> yes, a a a, a runway sized hole. But uh, the the they get through the little gap thing with the car, and uh, the bad guy's car uh, skids into the side, hits the side of the thing. There's a very tiny fireball, and uh, he is hurt and falls out of the car. 
and he grabs his gun and starts limping out of there uh, to run away. Uh, they uh, have stopped their car on the other side of the thing, walk back through, see him, tell him to stop. Uh, Will Smith has a gun on him, um, and he shoots the bad guy in the kneecap. The bad guy falls over, and they go over to the bad guy, and uh, this is, again, where they... They could have just taken the bad guy's gun, but they don't. They leave him with the gun, and then they turn their well, backs no, to him. He, he loses one gun, but he has a second one behind his back, and they don't bother to search him or handcuff him. It's stupid. It's really stupid. Um, and so, it's expected. But, but this is what gives Will Smith the justification to shoot with lethal force the bad guy uh, and to kill him. Uh, and that is what the bloodthirsty audience wants and what ta- bloodthirsty Taylor wants. Uh, is this guy's murder? They don't want him to go into the criminal justice system, uh, and that's what that's what is a very bad get. guy. He he just got one hundred and eighty million dollars wired transferred to him, so he could you know get out, he could sneak out, he could hire good lawyers and be bad and stuff. Yeah, he could he could have somebody slip him a sled through a ventilation system. Uh, but he, I mean, how many people get out of jail every single day with a sled through the ventilation system? Can't say I can think of any off the top of my head. But they, uh, I would guess it'd be in the dozens. But uh, they they pull this off. It's the end of the film. They did the thing. Uh, bad boys, etc. Uh, Will, Will Smith and Taylor Leone are handcuffed together by Martin Lawrence, who's had enough of them. <laughs> you got to have your scene where you're sitting on the hood of a cop car and the ambulances are around patching you up. And then you, you, got, you summarize the whole movie. You're like, well, that was a crazy ride, wasn't it? Time to... Go home and stuff, and oh, you too, and uh, ha, ha, I love you, man, love you too, bro, and then I'm going home to my wife, and you two can hang out together now, because you're both single, and you both like Mike Larry. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he shoes off the medic, who's like, you've been shot, let me help you, and he's like, no, 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 I just want to go home. Like, Do you need a key? No, 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 I just want to go home. I just want to go home. I am so, kind of amused it. how he's like, the way he shoes him off is like he like faux boxes the guy as he's trying to hobble away. It doesn't seem it doesn't seem wise. Again, I, I would like to mention that uh, he seems very singularly focused on uh, going home to his wife and children, uh, and does not actually, you know, like his job in any way. He probably should have found uh, something other than a narcotics detective field office position. Uh, uh, if he wanted to, you know, have a nice home life. Yeah, I would assume so. Maybe it's just because they are best buddies for like their whole life, apparently. And uh, Will Smith is all about the action that he kind of felt compelled to be partners with him. Mm, perhaps. The, what they should really do is the Bad Boys prequel, where we have them as teenagers. Well, they're not doing that, but they are going <laughs> to do a third one. Oh, dear. We'll talk about that next time. Yes. Theoretically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh well uh happy happy Michael Bayperl to you and uh mm. until until we meet again uh, uh stay safe and um obey laws and <laughs> I thought you were going to quote something from the movie <laughs> no all right that's it